scripture reading will be coming from 2 Corinthians 6, 1. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Thank you, Mr. Frankie and everyone that took part in the worship service this morning. We appreciate that very much. Beloved, I, I, you know, it's easy, isn't it, as human beings for us to when we do something, often it becomes rote and just a habit, and we, and we don't ever want anything we do here to become that way. I hope you pray about that and your heart's renewed every time we, we worship our Heavenly Father. And it's good to see all of you this morning. Do appreciate everybody for being here. We thank you so very much. Visitors, we've said it, but you're honored guests, and we, we're grateful because we understand in this world you have choice, and you could have chose to be anywhere else today. You could have chose to stay in bed and sleep in like a whole lot of people are doing this morning, but you chose to get up and be with us. So we're grateful for that, and we pray you will give us an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. This is, I think, is it the third part, third lesson, brother, and I lose track of time sometimes. The grace of God. We've been talking about the amazing grace of God, and we've been looking at some things that the Bible says that God's grace doesn't do that some people will claim it does, and then we're going to look at what it does and what it does today. The grace of God instructs, okay? Titus 2, verses 11, 14. If you want to be turning there, we're going to be looking at that, and I want you to keep your finger there. We're going to be looking at other uh, things, but uh, brethren, we've learned that the grace of God saves. We sing about God's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me, but it does a whole lot more than that. A lot of people want to allow the grace of God to save them, but then have no other effect on their life. The Bible says that the God's grace also instructs or teaches us. Titus 2, 11 through 14 is our text, our main text this morning. And if you do turn there, because we're going to be going back to it, so keep your finger there, your marker there, okay? For the grace of God has appeared. What does God's grace do? Bringing salvation to all men. We, we studied about that already, right? Uh, but what else does it do? Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possessing, zealous for good deeds or good works. Beloved, if God's grace, if you have God's grace in your life, not some man-made version, you're going to be zealous for good works. You're going to be zealous to do God's will. The fact that God has brought salvation to us instructs us, right? As we look at the cross, brethren, we're taught many things, aren't we? You know, we, we sing about looking at that old rugged cross, you know, and what it means to us, and it teaches us certain things. It shows us the unconditional love for, uh, of God for you and me, as the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. It shows us how we should live also, because as we sang, we are a debtor to God's grace now. God is interested in more than us being saved. He certainly wants that, brothers and sisters. He nailed his son on a cross so we can be. But he wants more than God like him, and that's why Jesus became like us. 
And he came that we may know what to avoid, what to get rid of, what to stay away from, and what to follow. God wants all of that for us, as our text explains this morning. But the thing is, brothers and sisters, because this is always a two-way street with us and God. Now, God does most of it. We understand that, and his grace is truly amazing, and it is a saving kind of grace. But we have to respond to God's grace. We have to respond to anything that God does for us, brothers and sisters. And Titus 2 says that the grace of God teaches us to say no. Did you know that? God's grace teaches us to say no. That's a powerful word and one that we really need to learn, right? That's what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 6 through 8, those three chapters there, okay? And, and he talks about that. We're going to be talking about that in a few minutes. But he talks about the standard of living that God's grace brings about and my response to that grace. Brethren, we have to respond to God's grace. A lot of people don't get that today. They think, well, God's grace does everything, and that's no, no, no. God's grace does most of it, brethren. It's like everything God does for us, He does the vast majority of it. But we still have to respond, and if we don't respond to God's grace, as Hunter just read in Second Corinthians six one, we receive it in vain. That word "vain" in the Bible means it's useless, it's no good, it's for no account. So can you receive God's grace in vain? God offers it. We need to receive it in such a way that it does good in our life and it does what God wants it to do. Otherwise, we receive it in vain. Okay, Jesus said, using the same terminology, in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of commandments of men. In other words, there, these certain people's worship was not going to be acceptable to God and, and it wasn't going to save them because they didn't do it according to God's plan. Brothers and sisters, God calls the shots. It's his grace. He gives it us, we have to respond to it in the right kind of way, which is the biblical way. Okay, people say, what do you mean by right, brother? Righteous, Bible way, God's way. Okay, so brethren, one can receive the grace of God and be saved, but if he doesn't, if it doesn't bring about a changed life, it has been received in vain. That's something to think about. Those that believe that since they've been saved by grace, they can continue to sin, Believing that God's grace will cover it? They're missing the whole teaching of the Bible about God's grace, brethren. We can't do that. God's grace will not allow us to do that. People say, well, I've been saved by God's grace, and, and, and no matter how much I sin, they'll say, God's grace got it covered. I know I'm sinning, but God's grace got it covered. Brethren, that is absolutely a foreign attitude to the Bible. Jude, uh, a short book of Jude, verse 4, tells us this. Um, and uh, I, thought, I thought we had it up there. I might, might not have got it there, okay? But Jude verse 4 um, tells us this in, in the Scripture. And I might have put it in the wrong place, too, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I can do that, you know? Um, uh, turn over to the book of Jude right before Revelation, okay? Very short book. But this is what Jude says about certain people and what they do with the grace of God. One chapter, verse 4 of Jude, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out by this, for this condemnation, ungodly persons, listen to this, they're ungodly. What makes them ungodly? Who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only maker and Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you think you can be saved by God's grace and continue to sin, no. The Bible, now, we're sinners. We're talking about living a life of sin. 
of, of, of using grace as an excuse to sin. I, I know our sin, but God's grace got it covered. No, no, brethren, that is foreign to the Bible. We cannot do that. He said, he said we receive it in, gra- in vain that they turn God's grace into the wrong thing, and God's not going to accept that. That's why in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, um, the apostle Paul in verse chapter 6 through 8, he's dealing with a misunderstanding. He, he, the, he was talking about God's wonderful grace, you know. We've been saved by grace through faith. He's and, and, and talking about God's wonderful grace and the Corinthian church being new Christians, they got the idea because the teaching was, you know what, God's grace is so wonderful that the more we sin, the more God's grace abounds. And, 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 and so they got the idea as new Christians that, whoa, we want God's abounding grace, right? We want as much of God's grace as we can receive. And so if by sinning, the more we sin, the more God's grace abounds, then we need to sin all the more. That was their idea. And, and so the Apostle Paul is answering that question in chapter 6, verse 1 of Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And a whole lot of people in the congregation would have said, Amen. And he says, May it never be, or God forbid. And why? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And then the preceding verses from that, he talks, or, uh, he talks about that we have been baptized into Christ, been baptized into his death, and we will come up out of that watery grave. The old man's dead. We be walk in newness of life, and we're dead to sin now. And now we become slaves to righteousness. And, that we are, and then he explains in those next few verses how we are to live. Brothers and sisters, biblical grace, God's grace must bring about a response of change or else it is received in vain. If God's grace does not change us for the better, then we have received it in vain, and it's no good. What is your response to God's grace? What is your response to that? So God's grace teaches us, brethren, and you know what it does? It teaches us both positively and negatively. If you see that in, Ch- in Titus 2 in our text there, okay? You know what God's grace does? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, he says in our text. <laughs> when you're a little baby, do you like that word no? Anything you want to do, uh, you know, that's the first thing you learn because mama and daddy said no, 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 no. Now, we don't, like, but brothers and sisters, the Christian life is like a battery. I had to change out a battery in a car just recently, you know what? And no battery will run without both a positive and a negative pole on it, right? Every one of them has that. A battery won't run on two positive poles. And no life will have any spark for Jesus until there's a negative relationship because of grace. Now, what do you mean by a negative relationship? Grace teaches us, brethren, according to our text, that because Christ died for our sins, then we should say no to those sins now. Jesus didn't die for our sins so we can continue in them and and then depend on God's grace. He says Jesus Christ died on a cross so we could say no to those sins. When we start practicing sin, there's when we forget about the grace of God. And the cross of Jesus Christ. Brethren, many times we forget the scars of the Savior. And because we forget, we give our lives over to compromise, don't we? And what does compromise lead to? Sin. Grace teaches us to say no, the Bible says, to ungodliness. Ungodly simply means not like God. And so we're to avoid that. Anything that Jesus wouldn't do, you are taught by grace to say no to. 
We need to learn to do that. We need to learn to say no, brothers and sisters. We need to learn to say no and not, well, what's wrong with just a little bit? Or everybody else is doing it. God's grace got it covered. No, that's not what the Bible says. Parents, we need to teach our children to say no, amen? And one way they learn is by seeing their parents say no to ungodliness. And so the Bible says God's grace teaches us to say no. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no, he says, to worldly passions. Worldly passion is what's behind ungodliness, right? Y'all remember 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17? Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The lust of the flesh, that's the desire to satisfy the flesh in whatever way it wants to be satisfied, and there's many. The lust of the eyes to desire to have what you see. Many people call that greed. And then the pride of life. And brothers and sisters, pride causes many people to fall. The Bible says that in the Old and the New Testament both. Even after we overcome or are on the way to overcoming the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, pride can still cause many to get into ungodly activities. And the Bible says grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Grace teaches us to say no to worldly desire. No is a hard word to argue with if said forcefully enough, isn't it? Isn't it? Satan's crowd can get around, I'll think about it, or well, maybe, or a little bit won't hurt. But they can't handle no. You see, you'd be surprised at the silence that follows that. You know? When I first went to Bible college, I had a real nice Chevrolet pickup truck, and a lot of the young folk there didn't have uh, transportation, and so they learned that Marvin wanted to be a good Christian and would, uh, you know, do unto others, so to speak, and I started loaning my truck when they needed my truck and if I wasn't using it. And guess what, brothers and sisters? My truck was getting a whole lot of miles on it, and I wasn't putting them on it. And the thing was, with the exception of one student in that college, I, I, it would come back empty, oftentimes dirty. And, and I had a roommate that just took it for granted, and, and he got where he wouldn't even ask me, and he made a date with his girlfriend one night, and he come in, and he said to me, give me your keys to your truck. He didn't even ask me, give me your keys to your truck. I got a date tonight. And I was just so sick of it, I said, no! Nothing else. He looked at me. He didn't say a word. He turned and walked and went to a pay phone, called his girlfriend, told her he couldn't take her out tonight. Brethren, do we say no to Satan with conviction? You know, you ever, you ever hear a grandma get on their kid, their little grandkid? No, 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 don't you do that. And the kid knows good and well, grandma don't mean that, all right? She don't really mean no, uh, you know? Oh, no, man, as soon as mom and daddy's out of the room, she's going to give me that candy anyway, right? They know, brethren, the devil knows that. He knows when we're serious. He knows when we're saying no in a forceful way. And so do we say no to Satan with conviction, brothers and sisters? The real secret of a powerful life and a pure life is the ability to say to Satan in a convincing way, no. There's power in that, brethren. And that's what the Bible says that teaches us to say no to. Grace of God teaches us to live. 
That's what he goes on to say. Here's the positive impact in our text of what God's grace does in Titus 2.12. It teaches us to live in three ways, he says. Sensibly, which means the NIV uses the word self-control. Righteously, which means upright. And godly. Where do you see a license to sin anywhere in those verses? Where can we possibly say, I know I'm a sinner, but God's grace has got it covered. Brethren, the Bible does not teach that. It does teach that we are to live, that God's grace teaches us to live sensibly or self-control, righteously, and godly. Let's look at these verses real quick, and you'll be out of here by 2 o'clock. Sensibly or self-control. Somebody said, well, Brother Green, self-control, biblically speaking, means that you are in control of your life. You have brought your life in under control, right? That's not what it means, brothers and sisters, not at all. Because we mess up when we try to be in control. Have you noticed that in your life? I say, I'm going to not sin. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to practice this self-control. And it doesn't work. We've got to let God take control. The Bible says that over and over again. Jeremiah 10, 23, a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. We mess up. There's all kinds of books that tell us how to get control of our lives. Self-help books, right? And when people buy those things, they usually have a shelf full. Why? Because the first book didn't work, and the second book didn't work, and the third book didn't work. Why? Because we never can do it on our own. Brethren, these folk that say to me sometime, and I hear it often, Brother Green, I know what you mean about becoming a Christian, and I certainly want to be saved, and I want to go to heaven and not to hell, but I've got some things I've got to work out first. I've got some things I've got to get straight in my life first. You never will. Please know that. That's the devil's greatest lie, isn't it? You never will straighten your own self out. We are incapable of doing that. But God's Word explains how to come under the control of God. And that's living, brethren. When we place ourselves under the control of God. So when Paul talks about self-controlled life, he means self-under control, not self-in control. There's a difference, isn't there? Self-in control is when I'm trying to do it by my human power. Self-under control is I've given myself completely to God and are obeying His will. If self is in control, you won't have a self-controlled life because you can't control your life. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be unkind, but how many of us made New Year's resolution that we were going to lose weight this year and we still gaining? We ain't under control. That's just one example. If we think we're in control of our life, the devil smiles in hell and God weeps in heaven because he knows better. That's why he had to give his son to die for us sheep. But when you when we yield, when we do what the Bible says and give up self and die to self, then God will take control of our lives. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, Jesus says in John 12, 24. Isn't that amazing? The only way I can be taught by the grace of God to live is to die to my way of life. Jesus said, you want to live, you got to die. We have to die to sin's control. We have to die to self-control. And we have to die to society's control.
and pressure. See, brethren, I don't want to be in control of my life. Oh, my human side, my proudful side does, but, but spiritually, I don't want to be in control of my life. I want my life to be under the control of the only one who is in control of all of creation. And when God's in control, everything turns out good, even things that seem to be out of control in this world. Amen? Ooh, y'all not talking to me today, are you? <clears throat> Did I spill coffee on my tie or <clears throat> Secondly, God's grace teaches us to live righteously or upright. That means literally standing correctly according to a standard. And brethren, the world is always trying to give, let it make us or teach us or help us to compromise God's standard. Why, wow, you Christians are too strict and you really shouldn't believe this and that and the other. You know, after all, we live in the 21st century and on and on and on. God's grace teaches us to live according to his standard. And that's a, a higher one than the world said, for sure. It was God's grace the Bible says, that compels, that compelled him to send his son to the earth in order to set the example and the standard for us. That's why Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us for all those years so we can see what it's like to serve God in human flesh. And following Jesus takes, take, teaches us to live upright lives. This idea that I can, God, I can sin all I want because God's grace covers it is contrary. It's contradictory to what the Bible teaches here. We are to, God's grace teaches us to live righteously, not gives us an excuse for sin. We must study Jesus and then walk in his steps. And thirdly, brethren, God's grace teaches us to live godly lives. That means lives literally that are like God. Now, we're imperfect. We can't be exactly like God, but that's what we strive to do. How do we know what God is like? Through Jesus. Jesus came to earth in the flesh, and he says several times, if you know me, you know my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Jesus came not just to tell us about God and what God says, but to tell us what God means, what he's like. Being godly is more than just being moral, brothers and sisters. You probably know some unbelievers who live a, quote, moral life. Godly living is more than just moral living. That's part of it. But it means to imitate God and to become like him, as the Bible says to do. That's what we need to do. Brethren, that's what God's grace teaches us to do. The grace of God teaches us through Jesus and through his word what godly living is. And the grace of God demands that we live that way. Let me close. The grace of God teaches you know what it teaches? It teaches you how to be saved through his word. It teaches you how to live the abundant life. It teaches you how to die to self and live for God. And friend, if you've not done that this morning, please don't leave this building without doing so. We offer an invitation for this very thing while we stand and sing.